COVID-19 pandemic has created an unprecedented strain on our healthcare system. The virus has created hotspots where more people were impacted, creating a capacity strain on medical teams and facilities in those areas. But there was an additional financial strain on hospital system operations that came from having to pause clinical visits and elective surgeries. This pause continues to create a significant financial burden to hospital systems. However, if there has been a bit of a silver lining to the situation, the use of telemedicine has increased dramatically. With clinics being closed to patients or patients wishing to avoid a higher risk environment, healthcare organizations began using a technology that's been available for years, but has been very slow to get traction. COVID-19 has brought telemedicine to the forefront. Behavioral change happens slowly until it happens suddenly. Today on Modern Marketeers, we're exploring the rapid adoption of telemedicine and what it means to healthcare providers going forward. We'll be back in a minute with our guest, Dr. Rob Steele, Chief Strategy Officer at Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City. Every brand needs a scorecard. The problem is most of them just don't tell you very much. That's because they only measure past outcomes when what you really need to know is the future. Introducing the Whole Brand Index from Barclay, a scorecard for the age of analytics that's been developed and tested through national survey research covering 125 brands. It doesn't just measure success, it predicts it turning it into a guidance tool for growth. It's based on how consumers use and evaluate your brand and competing brands. It tells you where you win and where you lose, covering everything from product value to customer service to the relevance of your message. And it correlates all that to market performance, scoring five key indicators that matter to every brand. Penetration, preference, willingness to pay more, advocacy, and brand buzz. It all comes together in a single dashboard with two simple scores, and it's scalable to any size budget. To learn more about the Whole Brand Index, visit BarclayUS.com or call Jason Parks, Chief Growth Officer at Barclay, 816-813-3892. That's 816-813-3892 to schedule a free webinar. The Whole Brand Index from Barclay. Our guest today is Rob Steele. Chief Strategy Officer at Children's Mercy Hospitals and Clinics in Kansas City. Rob, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. It's uh, great to be here. You know, Rob, you had just uh, moved to Kansas City, you know, I think last year in 2019 before, um, and we're, we're just getting your sea legs when uh, COVID hit seriously in March. Um, tell us what the hospital saw coming and, uh, and how the organization responded. Sure. Well, I mean, first of all, I had to reassure everybody that me coming did not foreshadow COVID <laughs> coming. Too. You know, right. it, it was purely coincidental <laughs> in that, um, you know, it, it was an interesting time for us. If, you know, I came in uh, as the chief strategy and innovation officer and, and we hit strategic planning right away. So I came in October and we started in on strategic planning to plan our five year strategic plan and actually got it through. Um, to the board level and approved, and four days later, we shut down significantly for COVID. So, um, you know, what's interesting is this, aside from just the operational details, which I can get into, um, you know, we had a whole strategic plan that we were ready to execute on that we had to put on hold for a bit, um, but we also then had to reevaluate it uh, because it, it, COVID has really changed a lot of things within healthcare, and we had to make sure that our Strategic plan was still relevant at that point, 
But, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing about pediatrics and a children's hospital is that, as many people know now, we didn't know back then, is that uh, children aren't hit as hard and uh, in as high a numbers as, as they are on the adult side. Um, and we didn't know that going into it. Um, and But uh, we had to prepare like every other hospital and, in fact, to keep all of our patients and, and coworkers safe, take all the precautions that every hospital has to do. So while the numbers of patients that we saw were far fewer than you'd see in an adult hospital, all the relevant precautions and decreases in surgery and outpatient visits and all those things that a, a hospital, all the hospitals had to do, we had to do as well. So um, uh, so we, we went through all those gyrations um, uh, like all the other hospitals did too. How did it impact? I mean, obviously, you know, uh, many organizations have had to adjust their uh, strategic plan. Um, are there are there you know key elements of the strategic plan that that you know that, that change that you could share? Sure. I mean, our, actually, our strategic plan is not a secret. Um, it's you know one that we're we welcome to uh, sharing. And so, uh, actually, we, so we took uh, after. The dust sort of settled uh, after a couple of months. We looked back at our strategic plan to go, okay, is, is this really relevant or how does it change? And after going into yet another deep dive within that uh, strategic plan, we, we felt not only was it relevant, it was actually probably more relevant now than it was when we started. Uh, so I, I would say, Sam, that the, um, there, there really wasn't anything substantive that changed other than the fact that we recognized the implementation, so the timing and, and whatnot, mm -hmm. uh, will be informed by the what happens with COVID locally, regionally, and nationally. Well, that was actually my follow-up question was, were there elements of it that um, because of COVID were exacerbated and said, yes, we need to move on this even more rapidly uh, than maybe what we had planned in the prior to COVID? Sure. Well, so, I mean, the, probably the obvious one is uh, in telehealth was certainly part of our strategic plan. And we had uh, a number of initiatives and we have a pretty robust capability of telehealth uh, within Children's Mercy. But boy, did it explode with COVID as it did with virtually every healthcare organization across the country. So right. in that instance, it, it rapidly, I mean, it, it becomes a significant priority for us. It was it was it was just a priority before. Now it it, it moves very close to the top of the heap um, uh, because of COVID. Well, and, and and that's you know I'm I'm not surprised to hear that actually, and it's 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 great to hear that. I want to dive into that for a minute because obviously the the number of clinical visits and elective surgeries, which you know in pediatrics there aren't. I don't know how you would even define an elective surgery, but those had to, uh, you know, you had to see an immediate suspension or at least a sharp decline in those, correct? We certainly did, and it's funny you bring that up. We've actually uh, tried to avoid the word elective because, to your point, it isn't elective. Um, it might be elective to do tomorrow instead of today, <laughs> but right. it has to get done. Uh, you know, for pediatrics, it's not really something that uh, is a do or don't do. It's really just a when do you do that. So, um, so, so yeah, the, the those those quote elective surgeries, or at least the surgeries that we felt that we could postpone, we had to um, uh, work through that. Um, that's true for the um, uh, uh, the outpatient visits as well. We had to uh, work through that, and many of those converted to outpatient visits just to give you, I mean, uh, to telehealth. So to, to give you a sense of 
of our volume before COVID hit on the telehealth side, our telehealth visits they represented maybe about 5% of our uh, total outpatient visits. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, at the peak of, of our telehealth ramping up uh, as a function of COVID, two-thirds of all of, all of our outpatient wow. visits were done by telehealth. Uh, that's settled down a little bit because we've now had uh, far more come in uh, for uh, in person as things have begun to settle out a little bit. But uh, it's still, as an absolute number, a, a huge part of our of our ambulatory service. But with uh, with regard to surgery, um, uh, it was it, 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 the, there were a number one of uh, surgeries that we had to postpone. We're now pulling those back in, so we see this sort of surge of activity. Uh, for the demand that had been pent up, uh, but um, that's also starting to, to settle out as well. But overall, you know, what's interesting is is our our inpatient volume has still not recovered to the levels prior to COVID, and it's a little bit of a head scratcher as to why that is. I was going to say, why is uh, that? Yeah. We see it, that it's a little difficult to say. I mean, we're we're going back and looking and 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 seeing exactly. Um, uh, why that would be, um, and it's a bit unclear. I think that we can find little pockets of reasons why the inpatient uh, service is down, but we're still at about 80% of our historical norms. Now, the the other issue is uh, pediatrics is a seasonal uh, type of uh, business where we see a, a lot more admissions in the wintertime than we do in the summertime. We're right in the middle of the summer, so uh, when we look at the numbers right now, uh, they're probably close to what we would see in the July-August time period for, for pediatrics. Uh, but even prior to that, uh, the numbers were low on the inpatient side. Still did, trying to figure out exactly why that is. Did the um, incidence to the uh, emergency department drop with uh, the, the lack of sports and other ac- outdoor activities this summer? Or have you not seen a change there? Oh, no, we saw a huge change. Yeah, so our our uh, at, at its nadir, the ED visits were about forty percent of the total. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, there was a little bit of time where it was about twenty five percent of of the historical norms. So very very low uh, numbers on the ED side. Uh, those also have not uh, recovered to the historical no- norms. And there's a lot of theory as to why that is. Um, I think you've named one. You know, you know, it's not a lot of trauma going on because people are. Uh, socially distancing at home. Uh, by by doing that social distancing, there's not a lot of interaction. So the illness, that you know, that contagious illness, even in the summertime when it's not as high, uh, it's not happening as much uh, either. So, so I think for all those reasons, there are um, there's a, a lower incidence of ED visits. Mm-hmm. How did I'm, I'm curious how the physicians responded to uh, telehealth and and a, a very rapid change to telemedicine. Yeah, so that's an interesting dynamic because um, uh, as many healthcare systems have experienced prior to COVID, there were two big barriers to scaling the telehealth capabilities because clearly the public is ready for it. Um, in fact, uh, I would argue they expect it. Uh, right. uh, but uh, with with few exceptions, uh, most health, health systems organically grew it. They didn't like uh, uh, very specifically uh, ramp it up to scale uh, like we've seen with COVID. And the reason for that, there were two, really two big barriers. The first one is reimbursement. So uh, state by state, there are different uh, requirements and or um, 
regulations with regard to reimbursement for telehealth visits. And being on the border, we had two states to deal with. And so reimbursement was an issue. The second one is uh, is the physician side. It's just simply that, you know, there are some what I call uh, uh, physician uh, telehealth evangelists that are really good and do a lot of telehealth. And then there's some that just simply don't do much at all. But boy, COVID, if you weren't doing telehealth, you weren't working. Mm-hmm. So, so that, so what, what, so both of those barriers really uh, got cleared with COVID on the payer side. Uh, it was recognized that these patients have got to get seen. They've got to be seen safely and telehealth makes the most sense. So the reimbursement mechanisms from the payers, both government and the uh, private payers, were cleared pretty well. Um, we were able to actually get appropriately reimbursed um, during COVID and still are currently. We're waiting to see what happens once everything uh, settles out, whether that, that payment will continue. But for now, it does. And then the second one is the volumes dropped so significantly that um, uh, the, the physicians really stepped up. So so, you know, it's a long walk around the bar, Sam, to get to your question, but, uh, you know, it's been a very impressive engagement by the physicians. They, uh, those that were not engaged before are highly engaged now. You know, it's interesting. I, I have a um, associate who, who often says the phrase, things happen, behavioral change happens very slowly until it happens suddenly. You know, and I think this is a... <laughs> This is a case where it happened suddenly, and um, there were there were no options. There were still you know uh, you know children that needed uh, you know pediatric care, whether it be surgery or clinical visits, and uh, that was the option. How have parents adjusted to it? To telehealth specifically? Yeah, yeah. They've loved it. Um, in fact, uh, our telehealth. You know, of course, we we survey all of our patients, whether that's on the inpatient, the surgical side, the outpatient, or the telehealth. And we have been uh, monitoring that throughout. Our telehealth surveys that we get back from patients are some of the highest in the entire organization. Mm-hmm. So they are, um, they are very satisfied with that capability, which is really no surprise. I mean, uh, honestly, the, uh, that capability uh, in healthcare is something that in other industries they've been doing for years and years. So, uh, you know, I think the public really expects us to have that capability, and we've been slow to react, quite frankly. Well, it's it's encouraging to hear that the payers, both both uh, public and private, um, adapted that quickly to the reimbursement model, which is great because that's always a that's always a sticking point. Um, but I guess I'm curious. Um, certainly. The question will be, you know, as you negotiate contracts with, you know, payers in, in the future, you know, how will they respond to that? But I'm also curious, you know, for, you know, in, in your role at Mercy, how, um, how will you think about restructuring or structuring um, patient care in an era where telemedicine is now um, more accepted on the provider side uh, and more accessible on the, uh, on the patient side? Yeah, so the second part of your question is actually uh, fairly complicated because we have to throw in uh, how our video conferencing and just operationally what you know, all the changes COVID has done for our operations internally because that impacts our telehealth capabilities too. Uh, to answer your first question with regard to the payers, um, you know, I, I think it is, uh, you know, I'm sure the payers are going through their calculations as to whether this, uh, you know, telehealth, is it is it just an add-on? 
or is it a substitute? And, and I think they're going to look through that. And that's always been the conversation. I think the pairs have been reluctant for reimburse, to reimburse it appropriately because they felt like it was just going to be more, more care rather than a, uh, a substitute to more appropriate care. And so uh, we are trying to actually partner with them to show that this really is uh, a substitution to uh, a care that is more convenient, is less costly, uh, and serves the, the patients in, in more of a fashion. So it's value-added effectively. So I think, you know, from both sides, from the payer and the provider side, there, there are these value calculations that are going on to decide how reimbursement is going to be done once COVID really settles down. And, um, and I'm optimistic that, you know, I, I, think, uh, I think it was um, the folks at uh, CMS that said, uh, you know, the genie's out of the bottle. Kind of mm-hmm. hard to put uh, the genie back in the bottle at this point. So, uh, I, you know, I think Seema Verma is actually the one who, who said that. And, and uh, so I do think that the payers realize it's here to stay. It's just a matter of what's the most appropriate way to align that reimbursement. And, and we're here to help with that value equation. So, so I'm, I'm optimistic on that side. With regard to how we at Children's Mercy are, are looking at it, we we recognize that um, uh, yes, it's here to stay. We welcome it. Um, we've actually been able to execute on it very well, and uh, we're monitoring it uh, probably more closely as a function of total visits uh, than we ever have, mm-hmm. and and really looking to to ramp that up um, as appropriately as 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 we can. The, what's interesting about that is that it has implications. For um, our operations, and and you know, uh, we've have a little you know a little less than 8,500 employees total. We've had 2,500 routinely working at home uh, since this all began in March, and uh, as many of of the public and and in other industries, we've gotten very very comfortable with a teleconferencing, doing operations uh, remotely, and so that that also adds. Um, a nuance as to uh, where people are with regard to the care that they're delivered. Do they do they really need to be here physically on on uh, the premises like we've had before in delivering those telemedicine capabilities, or uh, is the is the um, public comfortable with that physician simply being at home with the uh, and what's the appropriate background for that physician? You know, <laughs> right. how should they be dressed when they're <laughs> doing that? So so all those all those interesting operational issues. And what the public has gotten more comfortable with and expects, uh, we're watching very closely uh, in order to ramp this up. But it, I can tell you it's on the forefront of our uh, minds strategically. Well, let's go down that path one, one level even deeper because the, the, the overriding conversation that's taken place um, in, in healthcare for, well, it, for years, but certainly since 2010 when you know, the Affordable Care Act was passed was – you know, bending the cost curve and lowering the total cost of care. So, you know, under this premise, you know, if, if a significant percentage of your care ends up going through, you know, telehealth um, and, and you don't have, you know, let's say it is 20% of your staff not actually in the building. I mean, in theory, at least short term, that would help lower the total cost of care because overhead in some respects should go down in theory. Or is that too yes, big of a stretch? <laughs> it's, it's not too big. Well, except when you start to learn the historical definitions of telehealth. And these vary from state to state. So, um, so there are two 
two aspects to telehealth that have historically, aside from reimbursement, but just the definitions of, of telehealth in certain states um, that hamper uh, that cost-cutting equation that, that you outlined. One is, the, uh, is what is considered a uh, site of care. Mm-hmm. So there are definitions of sites of care, and if that patient is not in one of those sites, then it doesn't um, get uh, uh, reimbursed as a as a visit. And I can tell you, for our experience, um, there are payers, uh, Medicaid being one of them, has, that historically did not uh, recognize the home as a, a a a site of care. So if we were doing direct to patient uh, telehealth in their home. We couldn't get reimbursed for it. Mm. We actually had to have them come to one of our facilities. And if we're doing telehealth from one of our facilities to a patient that's in another one of our facilities, that's almost double the cost. <laughs> right. Because we've got people on both sides. So so sites of care is one. And that, that got cleared during COVID. And, I'm, and, and I, again, I'm optimistic that um, we can get past that and we can continue to do telehealth at home because that site of care is now recognized. The other one is the definition of a, um, a physician-patient re- relationship, and in uh, where we are in Kansas, Missouri, that's really that one's not an issue. In other states, there are some onerous uh, requirements uh, of what the physician-patient relationship and how that's established um, that make it uh, sometimes difficult to uh, uh, get reimbursed in that respect too. So. Uh, you know, even just recently, there were certain states, Texas was one, Arkansas is another, in which um, you couldn't do telehealth until you'd had a physician-patient relationship established, and that could only be established with an in-person visit. So you had to have an in-person visit before you could do telehealth. Well, that, you know, flies right. in the face of being able to scale telehealth. And there are variations in different states. So um, that just gives you a flavor of, you know, the costs that go into it just based upon sites of care and the relationship, uh, the uh, physician-patient relationship establishment that, uh, unfortunately, from a regulatory standpoint, we have to uh, abide by but can add cost to it. I think a lot of that's been cleared. And so, um, you know, getting back to your original equation, I do I do think that it should lower the cost of care and bend the curve, at least on that outpatient side. Well, you would hope so. And, and you know, certainly policy changes are the, the toughest changes to, um, you know, see come to life. Um but it, it's it's encouraging that CMS uh, and the private uh, sector uh, both moved quickly, you know, to change the reimbursement rates on uh, telehealth. That's a big deal. Yeah, and I think I think they also see, you know, telehealth is a really good touch point for those um, health systems that are involved in value-based reimbursement. So these are right. being reimbursed for outcomes rather than that fee-for-service model. And certainly telehealth is a lower-cost way to engage patients, to uh, monitor their health uh, carefully in a way so that their outcomes are such that they are healthier and thus uh, cost less. Uh, so the, I, I think uh, CMS also recognizes telehealth as, as a, an important tool in the toolbox for that. You know, the other aspect of, of this is, and it's always a, a bit of a, you know, Pandora's box to open up in a conversation, but the social determinants of health. Telehealth opens up many opportunities there, don't you think? I, I do. I, I do think it does. Now, you know, it's not a panacea, and, and you know, I think people recognize uh, there are certain things that you really can't do by telehealth. And actually, we've, we've learned that. Um, you know, when we were, when your back is kind of pushed to the wall and then 
there's no other option but to use telehealth, um, we're starting to recognize really where the limits are uh, with telehealth. So it, it still remains a tool like many of the tools that we have in healthcare, uh, but it won't be a panacea for that um, that cost cutting or or that you know the access. It's just one. It's just a very very important one, a very important tool, but uh, still just a tool. You know, a few weeks ago, you and I caught up, and um, one of the the topics that we talked about was, um, you know, the growing need for uh, pediatric behavioral health, um, and uh, I'm guessing that that is an area that is a little bit more challenging to do by telehealth. You know, what's interesting is that uh, there are good studies now to suggest that at least on the adolescent side, it's actually more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, you know that um, that population is very uh, not only uh, well-versed and, and uh, nimble in uh, technology, but uh, in many instances prefers it. And so uh, our capabilities of engaging adolescents on that mental health side, on the behavioral health side, I think telehealth, holy cow, is a, is a really, really important tool and can uh, improve access and improve outcomes. Uh, it becomes a little more challenging for uh, the younger set, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, it still improves um, our capability from an access standpoint. And so um, I do think actually that, uh, at least for mental health, uh, telehealth allows for uh, a tool that um, can solve for a lot of the access issues that we've otherwise uh, had difficulty with. It also, you know, one of the other big issues with, tele- with uh, uh, mental health is the coordination of services. So, you know, we have services that we supply. There are non-for-profits that um, uh, supply services on the counseling side and, mm-hmm. and others, and then other NGOs that also uh, fall somewhat in that uh, mental health and behavioral health space. And being able to coordinate that um, through technology, whether that's through apps that um, coordinate the, um, the needs of the patient through those various resources or whether that's strictly telehealth to coordinate that. I think that, that the technology side for mental health, I think, is a, still an untapped and, and growing part of our capabilities. Are there other technological innovations that um, that you guys are working on or that you've seen that you think will uh, improve the uh, the quality of care that, that, that maybe have been brought to the forefront due to the COVID experience? Sure. Uh, there are, I mean, quite a few that, I mean, it's so many. I, I, we kind of joke uh, that um, uh, if, there's a, if there's a problem to be solved from a digital perspective, uh, there are no fewer than a thousand startup companies that are more than willing to tell, tell you how, how well they can do it, that their app or capability can not only do what you need, but, you know, make your coffee and wash your car, too. So, um, uh, I, I would say that um, the difficulty is actually vetting through all those issues because um, – and so I'll give you one example. Uh, just from a patient access, patient experience standpoint, uh, there's one, – one of our um, initiatives is, is what we call the digital front door, although I say we call that it, it's actually now becoming more of an industry um, uh, term. And that is uh, recognizing, you know, what happens when – uh, a parent uh, notices something in their child and they're not sure if it's an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, what do they do? I mean, everybody, they, they Google it, right? And so um, so now you've Googled it. Now, where is that source of truth coming from? Uh, how, how can we as a health system make sure that the information that that parent is getting is truthful and uh, allows for that parent to make a, an informed decision? 
And once they've made that informed decision, um, how do they? How can we uh, help them? Uh, you know, figure out what direction to go in. And once they've decided, hey, they want to come to Children's Mercy, how do we facilitate that? Every one of these steps is is potentially a digital solution. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is that each one of those steps, there, there isn't there isn't any one digital company that does that entire continuum of care. In fact, uh, almost every step is a new digital solution. So how do you, from an IT standpoint, how do you decide, A, what is your solution? What is your solution for that step? And does it integrate with all your other steps, which, by the way, also have digital solutions? So, right. you know, that, that kind of technological um, uh, roadmap and, and decision-making uh, is, is something that we're that, – that's part and parcel of what, what we're doing uh, as part of our strategic plan as well. It's almost like a, a digital journey map. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and that, you know, as you, as you can imagine, that digital journey map, uh, it's got a lot of forks in the road. I mean, there's a lot of decision points. So uh, uh, even mapping that out gets uh, pretty hairy. Yeah, well, and, and it's got to intersect with all of the uh, the in-person journeys that also exist. And then it all has to, uh, you know, be cataloged and, and captured and uh, accessible to uh, you know, all parties within the, uh, the system. No, no it's, a, it's a huge ask yeah. to pull that off. Rob, anything uh, else from a telehealth perspective that we haven't covered today that, that you'd like to share? I, you know, I don't think so. Um, you know, the uh, I think the I don't know if that you fall this it doesn't really fall into telehealth, but just that that video audio conferencing capability uh, on how we coordinate our own workforce and and those type of things that's that's not unique to healthcare. I think a lot of industries and companies are going through this. Um, it's interesting as I look through the business journal or uh, other publications, these large corporations uh, declaring when they, you know, that they're putting off any decision about bringing those employees back. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, I've seen now uh, as late as next summer, I think it was Google that uh, specifically said, hey, uh, all of you who have been working from home, uh, you can continue to work from home at least till next summer when we'll make uh, that decision. Here locally, we've seen a lot of our large employers say, "Hey, don't um, don't even think about uh, coming back until after uh, January 1st." And my suspicion is that they'll probably even be pushing that date off. With every month that goes by, um, we learn more and more of what it what it means to deliver healthcare uh, with a dispersed uh, employee base, and um, we're learning a lot as we go forward, just as many other companies are. And those impacts will be lasting, I just have to believe. Uh, I have to believe that they will be, yeah. Well, Rob, I appreciate you uh, carving out some time today to, uh, to chat with us. And uh, I, I know we will be doing this again. And, and we knew you were doing some interesting things from a, a telemedicine and telehealth perspective at Mercy. And uh, I appreciate you coming on to Modern Marketeers and sharing that. Sam, it's been a pleasure. I, I, uh, I hope to take you up on any offer to come back. We will. We will. Uh, Join us again for the healthcare edition of uh, Barclays Modern Marketeers. We'll be back next week. 